welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. All right, hey church, why don't you stand with me? We do, our, our custom here is to stand for the reading of the word. And we've been walking through the scripture chapter by chapter, verse by verse. That way you don't miss the hard stuff. You can't sneak around it, even though you want to. Sometimes we want to, but... Uh, Paul said, I did not withhold from you the whole counsel of God. Amen? Amen. Whole. Everybody say whole. whole. That's with the W. And so, uh, <laughs> the whole counsel is like the other kind of counsel we don't want with the holes in it, right? The whole counsel with the W. Uh, same page. All right. Uh, we have a long portion of scripture, so everybody just um, hang in there with me. Ready? Verse 5, and the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all of the people followed him trembling. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Samuel went out to meet him and greet him to Saul. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord, so I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal, and the rest of the people went after Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin, and Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about 600 men. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it's alive this morning and it's living. God, that these these letters formed together in these strange lines are actually pulsing with life. They're pulsing with the life of the kingdom of heaven. God, and we would, if we would submit ourselves to your way, not our own interpretation of your way, but your way as you stated it, God, that would be like the seeds of the kingdom being planted in our heart that would produce kingdom of heaven life everywhere we go the blessing of heaven on our life, the peace of our God, the adventure of Abraham, 
God, I ask that you would do that in your sons and daughters this morning. Will you encourage them? Will you challenge them? Will you strengthen them in Jesus' name? And everybody said amen. 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 You can be seated. Thank you, Heidi. Was that the note? Was that the note? <laughs> um, this is my son, Leon. He's 12 years old. Um, neither Bethany nor I have red hair, and we had this prophetic word before he was born, and the prophet was like, he's going to be strange. I was, like, I was like, what does that mean? And then he came out with red hair. I was like, oh, that's what that means. <laughs> well, we're here to uh, honor my wife, Bethany, and Leon's mom, and the mother of this house. So can you guys give her a hand? Leon, can you give mommy some flowers? Um, I said this morning on our hustle, huddle, I, 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 this is potentially debatable. I'm not sure, but I think, I think women are the most valuable beings, mothers are the most valuable beings that we have. Without them, we would have no life. We would have no production of life. And our world says that to be a good feminist is to not be a mother, right? Our world says to be a good feminist is to be strong and independent and as much like a man you can potentially without the parts. But other than that, exactly the same. And it's evil. And God gave us mothers and gave us the gift of mother that is, you know, you don't, you know what you don't give a mom on Mother's Day? You don't give her raw meat. You know, and you don't give you, just, you don't give her a, a, a tool bag, a bag of tools. You know, historically, what you give mother on Mother's Day? Somebody say it. Flowers. Flowers. Okay. Do we do that in New York? I'm not sure. <laughs> Why do we give mothers flowers on Mother's Day? Because they're beautiful and they're delicate, and there is value in the delicate. There is value in the sensitive. There is incredible value in the tender. And the world wants to tell you that you have to, it's in order to have value, you have to be hard, and you have to be tough, and you have to, you have to be boss babe all day long. Just as much like a man potentially without the facial hair. But if you want, then I guess we allow that as well these days. <laughs> Please don't have facial hair in this church. I'll just, we'll cast that demon right out of you. Mustache, come out! <laughs> but seriously, I, I, we, we, don't, we don't understand the value of, of the feminine and the gift of motherhood in our culture, and so it's been stripped away and it's been given this secular, synthetic, demonic lie value, and it's leaving a culture and the hearts of young women void of who God has called them to be. And so then they're like, they climb their way to the top and they're, this is such an evil demon lie. And they're like, I'm on the top and I still feel totally empty inside. I'm the, t I'm the, they told me if I was the boss of the cog factory, I would finally find my purpose. And God's like, no, I don't want you to make cogs. I want you to make beautiful people. It is godly offspring I desire is what the scripture actually says. We don't talk, we don't talk about that in Cool Guy Church. We don't talk about in Cool Guy Church, the scripture literally says, it is godly offspring that I desire. That God loves people so much that he sent Jesus to die on a cross to have our hearts. And in his intention, we find the maximum flourishing of humanity. And um, 
Lord? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so thank you moms, I love you moms here. Please, uh, just from the bottom of my heart, truly, thank you so much for the sacrifice, for the unbelievable value that Jesus loves that Jesus, this is how much Jesus loved his own mother that in his, his last moments on the cross, in, in maxim, maximum brutal pain and suffering, grabbing on to the last pieces of life that were slipping away, he turns to his mother. And he says, John, now take care of her. That's how much he cares about mother. Do you know that? So... Thank you, Jesus, for moms. I was such a butthead to my mom, so this is a little bit of me. Call your mothers. New Yorkers, for the love of Pete, call your mothers today. Okay, hey, let's jump into the scripture. We're going to, um, we're going to jump right into this really wild portion of uh, scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 13. And 1 Samuel chapter 12, we did last week this whole message on the fear of the Lord, and and um, we talked about the importance of the fear of the Lord. And, and Samuel is saying to Saul, because they're in the middle of these chapters, they're in the middle of this transition. It, there's two places in the book of Judges. Um, one in Judges chapter 17. It says, and each man did what was right in his own eyes. And then again, the last chapter of the last, the last verse of the last chapter of the book of Judges, it says the same exact thing. And each man, every man was doing what was right in his own eyes. And that's kind of the culture that we have is that like whatever I feel like it says is how it goes. Like, let's see, let's see. The Bible says like, don't be drunk, and you're like, ah, eh, I don't really buy that one. That one's not important. For me, not stabbing is important. Like, if I don't stab, I'm cool with God. You're like, that's not actually what the Bible says. Like, see what God actually wants. Find out, read the book, see what he wants. It's pretty plain. And this is the stuff that's, that um, the prophet Samuel is saying to Saul. He's like, hey, look, we have some really express directives from God, and if you obey them, God's going to bless you incredibly, not just you, but generationally, he'll bless your sons and your sons' sons and all the way down, but if you don't, the kingdom's not going to be with you for long. And I shared this, this um, scripture out of the book of Acts, and it said that they grew, in Acts chapter 9, it says that they grew in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit and were strengthened in the fear of the Lord. And this is in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, often in the New Testament and New Covenant, people think like, we don't do fear of the Lord anymore, that's like old guy stuff, that's like old, that's like old boring church where they have hymns, we don't do fear of the Lord, it's just like love machine guns, like love, love, what are those, what are those slides that you ride when you're a kid and they hurt and they're outside? It's a love slip and slide, that's what it is. Church is a love slip and slide, and instead of water, it's lasers, like just laser beams. And, and, and the problem is that actually the book of Acts tells us that they were growing in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit because the encouragement of the Holy Spirit does draw us close to God and does grow us. Uh, numerically, but then there's this other thing. It said they grew in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit and were strengthened in the fear of the Lord. And I said last week, and this is true. It's a great noise outside. <laughs> Can't 
fantastic. Church in New York City is beautiful. We had somebody, somebody um, came from uh, far away two weeks ago, and they were like, I've never been to a church like this ever before. And I was like, neither have I. <laughs> so they're growing in the encouragement, but then they're being strengthened by the fear of the Lord. And we don't understand that. And I've, we've said this a lot of times here is that, you know, an unfathered generation seems cor sees correction as rejection. And so they don't think of correction as something that causes you to grow in strength. They think God is just rejecting me or he's being mean to me. God, don't you see this idea I have? And isn't it a great idea? And God's like, no, it's actually hurting you for the long term. And it's going to kill you for the long term. But if you'll grow in the fear of the Lord, then you'll actually be strengthened. And so this is the picture of a king that's unwilling to walk in the fear of the Lord. He, he walks in, in actually quite the opposite. He's walking in the fear of man. He's terrified at what the bad guys might do to him. He's, he's, he's crippled by the fear of the other, of the outsiders, of the army, and he's refusing to walk in the fear of God, which would be to obey the commandments of God, even in the presence of what seems like total disaster. And I want to read this. It says, um, Deuteronomy 17, this is one of the, this is one of the directives that Saul, to, that the prophet Samuel would have given to Saul. Deuteronomy 17, that entire chapter is the chapter of the duties and rights of the king. So God says, hey, when you guys get on your way, you're going to ask for a king. And so when you do, this, these are the rules that need to be followed. And this is cool because our church thematically is, it's called King's Church. And the theme is that we would not just walk in this priestly role of praying, but this kingly role of seeing God's kingdom come to earth practically where we live and work and where we, where, where we are. And this is what it says in, in, in chapter 17. And he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priests, and he shall read it all of the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord. And that in, in, the, in the, the king's reading of the scripture, he would learn to fear the Lord. And actually, his daily reading of the scripture, he would learn to fear the Lord. And we have a culture that doesn't fear the Lord. And how much of it is that we don't have the word of God in our life in a consistent way? You know whose word we have? We have CNN and Fox News and MSNBC and my Twitter feed and my Instagram feed. Those are the words that I feed myself with and not the word of God. And so when culture tells me to do something, I obey culture rather than, the, than God because I have no fear of the Lord. Because I haven't been doing what the king is called to do. And this is crazy. It says this. He shall write for himself a book and copy of the law approved by the Levitical priests. Well, why would they need to approve it? So he doesn't leave anything out. The, the, he has to take the law. He has to copy it. It's like this picture of transcribing it on self, consuming it, knowing it. And, and while he's doing that, he has to show his work to the priests so he's not leaving out the hard parts. Because it's really easy to do that. And it says this, And he shall read it all of the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord, uh, the Lord his God, by keeping all the words of the Lord and these statues, and by doing them. And so it's not just, the, it's not just only 
the reading, right? It's also the doing. And I talk to Christians all the time that say this phrase. They say, well, you know, it's just like we need truth. We just need more truth because, you know, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Like, that is a bad reading of the scripture. Do you know the scripture doesn't say that? <laughs> like, what do you mean, David? That's on one half of what Jesus said. The second half. This is what he actually says in John 8, 31. This is the Amplified, so we get it. So Jesus was saying to the Jews who believed, believed him, if you abide in my word, continually obeying my teachings and living in accordance with them, you are my disciples. Then you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. People are like, oh, I just need to know the truth. No, you need to obey the truth. And in obedience, God reveals his design to you. Like, we just want to read a book. We want to, we want to, get, we want to get a message. We want to, like, download it. And, 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 and we're just like, man, if I could only understand, God, why you didn't want me to sleep with my boyfriend, then maybe I wouldn't do it. So maybe I'll read some books about Christian dating about it. That's not the paradigm. The paradigm is if you obey my teachings, then you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Then you will, it will start to awaken and become alive inside of you. And Saul is in this place, in this passage of scripture, where he's clearly not living in the fear of the Lord. And you can see that the entire nation is affected by his stature and his presence. It says that they're all terrified. Look at this first, first um, verse that we read. It said... They came up in a camp at Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon. When, when the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, the people hid themselves in caves and holes in the ground, in rocks, in tombs, and in cisterns. In tombs where the dead people go. How many Christians climbed back into the grave because they're afraid of man rather than living in the fear of the Lord? The, the, the people of Israel were running and hiding wherever they could go because they were terrified of this force that had set themselves against the people of Israel, and they were running back and hiding in tombs. You know, Israel's, the, the, the Nazarites weren't even allow, allowed to go to a funeral. They weren't allowed to touch a dead body. Like, you don't go hang out in the grave. That's just not a great idea. And the people of Israel were so terrified that they were going anywhere. And I find that Christians that are living in the world, they, there's so much pressure to believe how the world believes. They're willing to put on the old clothes, the old garb, the old ways of being so they can fit in, so they wouldn't be overwhelmed by the world against them. I had a buddy um, who was, I'm not going to tell you what, he, what sin he was in, but he, I, I was praying for him and I felt like the Lord said, I want you to tell him that he's a sheep in wolf's clothing. And I was like, well, that sounds intense, Lord. <laughs> sure. <laughs> a sheep in wolf's clothing is like a believer that hides in the grave when the enemy shows up. When it gets hard, you just put on the clothes of the world. What do you believe? I believe the same thing. What do you think? I think the same thing. I'm on the same page as you. Is it, is, it, is it flag day? I'm putting up the rainbow flag. I'm putting it up everywhere. I'll stamp it on my forehead. Please, 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 please don't hurt me. I'm terrified of the world. And Jesus has called us to be salt and light. And if the salt loses its saltiness, which is a preservative, a moral preservative in a culture, then Jesus said, then the salt is good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. 
And he's saying that about people that are not walking in the fear of the Lord anymore, and they walk in the fear of man, and then they just do whatever culture tells them to do. They're just a slave to culture. They're desperate for acceptance. They're desperate not to be trampled on. And, and, Paul, and Saul is this kind of fear leader. He, you know, it's funny, because if you remember earlier, we talked about him. He was tall. He's handsome. He's, 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 he's strong. He's brave. And then, the, and then the, the time where he's called to be anointed by Saul uh, over, over the nation two chapters back, they find him hiding in the baggage. And all the people are like, they're search, literally search partying for, Paul, for Saul. They cannot find him because he's so terrified. So, that, so his nature was to be subject to fear. You could see it then, and then you see it really revealed. You know. And this is like, we, he had a battle last chapter, if you remember. He won the battle. It was awesome. The beginning of this, there's like this, the, the, the end of last chapter, there's this formal handover. And as soon as the kingdom is formally handed over to Saul, he drops the ball to entirely based upon fear. He's terrified. So I want to read you what, if he would have, if he would have followed uh, the word of God, if he would have read the law of God, just one chapter, Deuteronomy 17. This is what, this is Kings, this is what I, I think about you. Seven, 16, 17, and 18. One of them, I think 16 is battle and 17 is Kings. It says this, verse 20, chapter 20, verse 1. When you go out to war against your enemy and see horses and chariots and an army larger than you, your own, you shall not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you. God literally says, hey, king, this is going to happen. When you become king, it's going to get wild, and there's going to be massive armies, and I like it that way. It's going to happen, and I'm commanding you as a king to not walk in fear. And it goes on. It says this. It says, the Lord your God, in verse 2, is with you to fight against your enemies and to give you the victory. It goes on to verse 8, and it talks, about, it talks about who to take to war and who to leave behind. In verse 8, it says this, If there is any man who is fearful and faint-hearted, let him go back to his house, lest he make the heart of his fellows melt like his own. And there's something about, there's something about the community of the saints that has been lost with the everyone's welcome to church culture. And everybody is welcome to the cross. Jesus, Mark says, Jesus said, everywhere Jesus went, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For the entire world, everyone, at the cross, the kingdom of heaven is open. To go through the cross into the entrance of the kingdom of heaven. But we have been so desperate to see church growth in the modern church. We have had church open to everybody in the universe and said, you know, you don't even need to change. In fact, you don't even need to be a part of the community. You can believe whatever you want to believe. You can live however you want to live. And you can just be a part. And we're just going to hug you until you realize how much Jesus loves you. Well, Apostle Paul kicks people out of the church for walking in sin. Because there's something incredibly important about the union of the people in integrity before the Lord. Walking in the fear of the Lord together brings massive strength to the body of Christ. Acts chapter 9, and they grew in encouragement and were strengthened in the fear of the Lord. And then it says this, the, the, 
God's command is, is, is if there's anyone fearful and faint-hearted, let him go back to his house. Lest he make the heart of his fellow melt like his own. Because fear is contagious. Have you ever walked through New York City in the last year? <laughs> fear is incredibly contagious, right? I was always a little bit of a hypochondriac. So, so people tell me stories about like cancer. I like start feeling pain where they describe it. I'm like, oh my God, I think I have that. I think I have that. <laughs> I was sitting on the plane. Bethany and I flew out to a great couple's wedding yesterday. We left yesterday at noon and then we flew back in this morning at 7 a.m. I was sitting on the plane and the, the belt was high and I started feeling pain in my body. I'm like, I'm having a heart attack right now. I'm gonna die. And I was like, I adjusted the belt. I'm like, no, I'm just fat. That was it. <laughs> that, was, that was all there was. Just got to move the fat around and then the pain went away. Thank you, Jesus, I'm alive today. <laughs> Fear is contagious like courage is contagious. That people that stand for Jesus other people that are looking for courage will be drawn to that person. Fear is contagious and destructive and, and will just dash the purpose of God, but it takes one person to believe the word of God and stand and say, no, 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 guys, remember, God said it was going to be crazy. Everyone was going to be against us. He said there were going to be armies that were massive. That there were going to be chariots. People of Israel aren't even really allowed to have chariots. It says in Deuteronomy that kings aren't allowed to amass horses, they're not allowed to amass chariots, they're not allowed to do all of these kind of things because God wanted to fight for them. He didn't want their win to be in the, in, in, in the cleverness of man or the scheme or ideas or the newest weapon system. God wanted to fight for his people and he still does today. And sometimes we skate hard issues or we won't talk about stuff with friends because we're afraid like, oh, I just don't know how to say it or... Like, God wants to fight on your behalf to free your brothers and your sisters. That they wouldn't be in bondage to sin and death. That they would come into the kingdom and flourish. And I'm just so, you know, I've been hanging out with these pastors for the last six months that have all opened their churches. Some of them are being fined millions of dollars. One of them has seven, millions of do seven million dollars in fines. And you get around them and you're just like, man, nobody's nervous. Nobody's like, oh my gosh, I got another fine. They're rejoicing with another fine. They're like, what an, what an incredible honor to be able to stand for Jesus in a time where they said, you're not allowed to meet. Even though the scripture directly orders you to not forsake the, the congregational assembling of the saints. And uh, courage encourages the heart. And it doesn't just encourage the heart. It's not like we're encouraging the heart to, to be stupid or to be, to be unwise, we're encouraging the heart to trust God, who is our maker and creator and sustainer and our hope and our peace and our sustenance and everything that we need we can find in him. And that life source that is the presence of God will make all of our enemies fall and melt like wax, that they're the ones that are supposed to melt like wax, not our hearts. And, and this happens by spending time with the Word of God. Do you know why? Because you remember who He is and what He's done. Because when the army shows up, it's really easy to forget who God is and what He's done on your behalf. 
And that's why when you ever see these stories or, or if you read, you know, the book of Isaiah or even Stephen and, and, and his, his incredible message, he starts by declaring the acts that God has done to remind the people of God. He's a supernatural God. He doesn't follow our rules. He doesn't say, okay, the army showed up. Okay, everybody go home. Guess an army showed up. God's like, no, that's going to happen, and I like it, and I want to win on your behalf because I'm the hero of the story, not you. Like, church is all about you being the hero of the story, your better life now, your better marriage now. Jesus is the hero of the story, and he makes my life better, not me. Amen? Great point, Pastor. Great point. So then this is what happens, because he's terrified. Um, it says he waited seven days for the appointed time by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. And so obviously Saul's this terrified, excuse me, uh, yeah, Saul's this terrified leader, and he has to wait seven days. And then he's trying to get God to act on his behalf, so he does a sacrifice. He does two different sacrifices, and you could say, well, that's weird. Why is that the case? Well, Numbers 18.7 says this. It says uh, to the Levites, it says, and you and your sons, the Levites, shall guard your priesthood for all that concerns the altar and all that is within the veil, and you shall serve I give you your priesthood as a gift. Any outsider who comes near shall be put to death. So in, in, the, in, the, in the law that God gave the people, the, the, the order he gave to them was that only the Levites, only the priests were allowed to make the sacrifice. Anyone else dies. And it's so wild because because Saul is so terrified. He tries to do these acts on behalf of God in order to please God, and he does exactly the opposite thing that God wants. And I see Christians that are living a life that are terrified because of the world around them, and they're doing things in their life that they think are pleasing to God, be it social justice warring, be it uh, rioting in the streets. They think they're doing things that please God that are actually in direct opposition to the will and the way of God. And how do you know the will and the way of God? How would you know that? You, ha you only know it by reading God's word. It's the only way you know it. And so, so Saul is scared. He's like, uh, it's, the war is about to go down. I, I have to fix this myself. I'm going to take matters into my own hand. And then he puts the sacrifice on the altar. And as soon as he breaks the covenant, the prophet shows up. I'm like, bad timing. Five minutes earlier, please. But, but no, because he was a leader that was walking continuously in fear. And he was going to lead the people into their own destruction. And so um, this is what happens. So he, gets, he gets cursed. A curse falls upon the, the, the king because he, he stepped exactly outside of God's will. And you know the wild thing, it says this. It says in Deuteronomy 17, this, remember I said there's this passage about kings, how they should behave? It says, let him do these things that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, so that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right or to the left, and so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. 
And God is saying, my blessing is with my people that walk in accordance with my way, always. My blessing is always with my people. I can't get away from this thought about, you know, I, I, I deal with a lot of conservative guys that are always trying to figure out the answer to fix America. And the answer to fix America is that Americans repent and turn to God. The, the answer for all of time, always, in every situation, is that, that people repent and turn their hearts to God. Like, like, here's the lie. There's a microcosm of people that are being oppressed, so we need to redistribute wealth. Wrong. Here's, let me say something really hard to you. God blesses every people group that repents and turns to him. Every people group that walks in righteousness before God gets blessed. It is the order of the universe. It is the way he made the laws of the universe. And you think, no, they're... They're oppressed because, because uh, someone stole and someone was mean. Perhaps they're oppressed. Every people group in America, perhaps they're oppressed because they're not walking in righteousness before God. Wait, whoa, whoa. I thought this was like, I thought we were more sophisticated than that. I thought we had to look at economic structures and, 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 and political theory and, and understand Rousseau and Hobbes and then, and then really the, the, uh, the, the, the economics of Milton Friedman versus Keynes. I thought we had to understand that really to play out no wrong. Righteousness brings blessing every time. You're like, so man, I just am not getting blessed in my job because I think my, my, my boss is super rude to me and he's super mean all the time. Maybe you're not being blessed because you're a wicked employee. Maybe if you were, this is what scripture says, serve your employers like you're serving God. How many people here, let's just be, let's just be honest, let's do a one finger poll. You don't have to, no one else will see it other than me, and only I'll judge you. <laughs> have I ever served an employee like I've served God? I think a couple of times, when I, like I read the scripture and then I tried really hard for the next week or two, right? But, but we're, we, we have this culture that says everything always is someone else's fault and you're totally fine. The scripture says actually quite the opposite is true. That God made an incredible world with incredible laws and incredible ways, and if we would reckon ourselves to his way, everything would work out. All of our finances, all of our relationships, like, man, I'm in this relationship with this gal, she, she's just such a, I, can, I can't even handle her. Maybe you're the horrible person in the relationship. Did you ever stop to think, maybe you are the horrible person, and you need to serve and love and lay down your life. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And Saul's like, just, I'm going to do it my way. I don't like God's rule. I don't like his law. I know he said, you know, when armies come, I need to, I need to submit myself and wait for, this is what it says in, in Deuteronomy. It says, and then the Levites will come and they'll sacrifice and then God will tell you what to do and how to kick the bad guy's butts. And he's like, no, I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to take control. I'm going to take the kingdom into my own hands and then that's how you lose the kingdom. People all across this beautiful nation have decided to take God's kingdom in way and take it into their own hands and they're losing the kingdom. Because it's not the kingdom anymore if it's not God's way. 
And they're like, no, listen, listen, we need to march for years. And then when we're done marching, we're going to redistribute wealth, and then we'll have blessing, perfect equivalent blessing. No, you won't. No, you won't have that. You will only have blessing when you repent and turn to God. That's what the Bible says. It's never stopped saying that for the, <laughs> for the history of Christendom. That God says, if, and I'm talking about the people of God. I'm not talking about the world. The world needs to repent and come to the cross. This is, this is a story for the people of God. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will turn from heaven and heal, forgive their sins and heal their land. Guess what? Every pundit. Guess what? Every news anchor. Guess what? Every political philosopher. If the people of God would humble themselves and pray, and turn from their sin and turn to God, he would lift the curse off the nation and we would be a light and a blessing once again in righteousness and holiness. And every people of our nation, independent of skin color, independent of political philosophy, would be blessed. It's God's way. It's totally antithetical to the way of the world. Completely different than what they're telling us how to fix things. Okay. Malachi 21, 7, or excuse me, 2, 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying everything, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or you ask, where is the justice of God? <laughs> Zubin, Zubin sent me that scripture. Thank you, Zubin. People saying, where is the justice? There's no justice, no justice, no peace, no justice. What if you're the one not walking in justice? What if you're the one not walking in righteousness? What if you're the one not turning to your neighbor? Like, this is why I love King's Church, because we're an incredibly diverse group of people that love each other in Christ Jesus. That Jesus Christ is the foundation of what unifies us, nothing else. And guess what? Outside of Christ, I am the filthiest and worst, most hideous of heathens. I would turn the stomach of Satan's nephew. <laughs> but in, in Christ I'm a priest and I'm a king I'm a brother of Jesus is what Hebrews says and so are you independent of your background independent of what you come from that we're unified as a family nation purified by the blood of Jesus the value of heaven is on your life the, the blood of God himself for you and for me. Amen, sincere. Amen. <laughs> All right. I want I have this other I have this other thing. So so this is what happens is the curse comes upon Saul. And Saul is um, you know, he's the guy that walks in fear, and, and we are often the people that walk in fear. But uh, here, check this scripture out. Genesis 3.18. And to Adam he said. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat, cursed be the ground because of you. And so God curses the ground because of what Adam and Eve do, and that's sin entering the world and chaos on its heels. And the first thing that happens when sin enters the world says this, and thorns and thistles the world shall bring forth for you. So the, the emblematic picture of the curse is the thorn itself. And 
in Matthew and Luke and in John, it says this incredible story. It says, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came to him saying, hail the king of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and said to them, see, I am bringing him to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him, the guiltless one, a crown of thorns symbolically representing the curse that Jesus wears on his head for you and for me. And it says this, so Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, behold the man. Behold the man who took my place and yours and wore the curse upon his brow so that you and I would not have to. So that the curse because of sin and death that cometh, the, the curse that's apparent in every instance of deceit, in every instance of fear, in every malfeasance, the curse springs forth. Jesus wears it on his head and they press it into his skull. So blood's pouring from him and he's wearing the curse, the crown of the curse the crown of the kingdom that had been cursed, and he is going to die with it to kill that kingdom so that those that would find life in him would no longer be bound to that kingdom, would no longer be bound to the curse. And this is the picture. There's, there's an army that God is gathering. It's a courageous army. It's a people of God that are standing up in a culture, in a time where there is literal persecution against the church. I don't know if you saw last week the pastor in the UK that was arrested for reading the Bible on the street. Did you guys see that? A couple of days later, uh, another pastor arrested in Canada. Pastors are getting arrested for sharing the gospel. Not just the everybody's welcome gospel, but the repent and believe gospel. The whole council. The whole, the whole of it. That thing is not, that thing is not, doesn't make people happy. Doesn't make the Oreo cookie company happy anymore, right? Pilate said this, he said, I find no guilt in him, behold the man. That in the man Jesus Christ, that he bore our shame, he bore our suffering, and he bore the curse that we could walk in freedom and in life that the kingdom of the curse would no longer be crowned on our heads because it was crowned on his head. And that we wouldn't be bound to fear and sin and death and walk like the earthly king, but that we would follow the king of kings and the Lord of lords and walk in freedom and courage when the whole world is standing against us remembering, oh, this is exactly the way God wanted it to be. And you know, this, this day marks um, a year from, one year ago, our church was, was kind of crashing and burning. On May 9th, I, I, I prayed and I said, Lord, um, it's really hard. I know this, all of these riots in New York City. Thank you, Horn, for illustrating that. Uh, the riots in New York City, the demonic ideology which embodies the Black Lives Movement, the confusion, the oppression in the church, the shame, the guilt, the, 
the hatred one brother towards another. I know this is evil, and I can't stand for it. I have to stand against it. And our church split, and many of our church people left, and people who we loved and we wept with and we paid for their rent. And, and I, on May 9th last year, I was, pr- I was walking by my apartment uh, in the financial district, and I said, God, I don't know if I can do this much longer because it seems like everything's crashing and burning here. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, in a, I'm, I'm, a t- I'm a tough guy. I can take some knocks. But it's been really painful. And the Lord said to me, David, if you will wait one year from now, Things will be substantially different in your life, and 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 it's so wild. <laughs> you know, I, I don't do, I don't like I don't toot my own, own horn. I don't do it. I don't like it. I don't like that church culture is built upon how famous you are, and I'm, I hate that. But over the last year, our church has quadrupled in size. We've gone to two services. I've spoke to probably two million people about Jesus. Um, I've been on national radio shows, and God's uh, God's doing some other incredible things uh, that I'm excited to share with you about. But, you know, the thing that I'm grateful to the Lord is that Saul doesn't do is he he doesn't hold on. He doesn't hold on. There's like a period. There's like the seven-day period that the prophet's going to come. And it was like the same thing for me, like the Lord's like, if you will just hold on for one year, not by might nor by power, but by the spirit of the Lord, I'll change everything in your life. And I just want, I just, for those of you who are out there and you're in a wobbly place with God, can I just encourage you, do not bail out. Do not do it your own way. Do not walk the way of Saul. Can you just hold on and wait for God? Wait for the miraculous hand of God to come in your life because it's coming. It's coming swiftly. Don't bail out on it. So Jesus, we just thank you for wearing the crown of thorns, the curse that should have been borne by us, but Jesus, that you wore and that you were, you, you, you were laid uh, to rest with this kingdom of hell that we would be raised to new life no longer bound to the kingdom of the curse. Jesus, we thank you for your promise in our lives. We thank you that God, through the chaos and through the confusion and through even what doesn't make sense to us, what we can't see clearly, God, your spirit is coming. And it's not by might, it's not by power, it's not by the systems of the world, but it's by the spirit of the Lord. And God, I just want to thank you for giving King's Church the grace to hold on. And God, would you increase the light, Father, that we would blaze against the darkness of this city, that sons and daughters would find their way home, that they would find hope, that they would find Jesus with burning eyes, with hands pierced, Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really believe that God wants you to know him in a personal and tangible way. If there's any way we can assist your journey, please reach out to kcnyc.org.